So I invite you to put yourself for a moment into the shoes of Jairus. Here's a father of a 12-year-old daughter. He's among the leaders of the synagogue, probably something like a buildings and finance committee chairperson, judging from the Greek word that Mark uses. So most likely as a man of this era, he'd be married. He'd have a number of children. One of them is gravely ill. I imagine Jairus to be a thoughtful, respected, practical guy, like most property and finance people I've worked with here at First Lutheran. A guy in that position would only get into that position if he knew how to make things work. But his little girl is suffering, and there isn't a thing he can do about that. Maybe others in town saw Jesus' boat coming toward the shore. I'm not sure how Jairus found out that Jesus was approaching, but however he figured it out, that Jesus was arriving from the other side of the lake, we know that Jairus is there waiting for him, waiting. I can't imagine the impatience that I would have had watching this boat come in from a distance. If you've ever been on the shore seeing a boat come in, you know a boat comes to shore very slowly. You can see it coming from so far away. Have you ever waited for someone to come pick you up and they're late and you have somewhere to be? That kind of feeling? Or sitting in a lobby waiting to get called in for an appointment that you've been feeling anxious about? Or that feeling when you're waiting for them to get back to you about whether you got the job or what grade you got on the test or whether the medical test is coming back positive or negative or is it a boy or a girl? Jairus is waiting for the healer. He knows that each and every moment that passes is one moment closer to his daughter's death. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Row that boat, you guys. Put your backs into it. Stop chatting. Just get here. But Jairus is not alone on that seashore waiting for Jesus. There's a crowd. Mark says there's a great crowd. So once the boat has finally arrived, Jairus elbows his way toward Jesus and throws himself down at his feet. Jairus begs Jesus repeatedly in front of this entire crowd, my little girl. And the word Jairus is using is not a descriptive word like he's saying, my daughter is small. He is using a a daddy term of endearment. My dear little girl, this dad is desperate. My little girl is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And just like that, Jesus goes with Jairus. And the large crowd tagged along. Okay, so here we go. Desperate situation being met by this miracle worker. We've already in the Gospel of Mark seen him heal a leper and a paralytic and a man with a withered hand. He's cast out lots of demons on the other side of the sea. He's just stilled a storm. So here we go. They're walking. They are walking. 
walking with some pace, I would imagine. And as we imagine them making their way, Jairus and Jesus and this crowd, one of the crowd gets described by Mark. And Mark says, so among this crowd, there was this woman. And the description of this woman paints another desperate picture. Our translation says, this woman had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. The Greek phrase would literally read, being with a flowing of blood. It's a particular phrase that echoes Leviticus chapter 15, 19. When a woman is with the flowing of blood, she shall be in her impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. Everything upon which she lies during her impurity shall be unclean. I could go on and on about all this, but you get the picture. So, remaining unclean for 12 years also meant she wasn't bearing children for 12 years years, which we know from lots of other Bible stories in this era, that's catastrophic for a woman. It is grounds for legal divorce. People would have seen her as absolutely useless, empty, worthless. We're also told that she had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had and she was no better but rather grew worse. This past Monday, I had a tooth tell me loudly that something inside was terribly wrong. Bringing my tender, pain-filled mouth to a 21st century dentist, a person I trust, who I trusted knows how to bring healing through a pretty routine procedure like a root canal, think how different the experience must have been for this woman. 2,000 years ago, she has a problem that nobody knows how to solve, but it's a problem that creates for her a living death. She can't participate in community. She can't enjoy a marriage. She can't build a family. Going to a physician, which is a generous term for what these people could do at this point in the world history, bringing her tender, pain-filled hurt to ancient gynecological care, well, as Mark says, she endured much, spent all she had, and then got worse. One can only imagine how she suffered. Jairus, the synagogue leader, a person with status and position, snagged Jesus first after Jesus had gotten off the boat, but this woman was at the seaside too. She's desperate too. And now this whole crowd is making their way to Jairus' house with pace, I would imagine. And as much as Jairus had elbowed his way through the crowd to throw himself at the feet of Jesus, this suffering woman makes her way toward him. She doesn't enjoy, like I said, the status of Jairus. In fact, as a woman, Jesus wouldn't be allowed to speak to her in public. So she approaches him not head-on, but from behind passing by one person after another through this great crowd, exposing each and every one of them to her impurity, she is acting on her trust that Jesus is worthy of the radical thing she's doing and the even crazier thing she's about to do. Allowing her impure body to be in this crowd is all by itself grounds for severe punishment. But then she does the unthinkable. She touches him. She touches Jesus. She breaks through the physical barrier of the crowd and the religious and social barriers of her condition, and this bleeding woman just touches Jesus, and immediately she knows she's healed. And just as immediately, Jesus stops. 
He just stops. I imagine the pace Jairus was leading them on was quite brisk. But Jesus stops, which would have made the whole crowd stop. Who touched my clothes? As bold as she had been to get near him, to touch him, she now, with the boldness of an Old Testament prophet who is in awe because she knows that she's been healed, she assumes the same posture that Jairus offered at the seaside. She falls down before Jesus and explains everything. Now, most miracle stories would have ended by telling us her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Thanks be to God. But Mark has more to say than what happened. He wants to say something about why it happened. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Remain healed of your affliction. Jesus meets her boundary breaking with his own. He's not supposed to talk directly to a woman in public. Not only does he, but he calls her daughter. Jesus doesn't only put an end to years of suffering, he marks the beginning of a new life. This healing isn't just about God wanting to stop the bleeding. God does more than that. It's about this woman remaining healed of her affliction so that she can now build that life that God's always intended for her. Now, the crowd could have all stood their mouths agape that she touched him, that he talked to her. Maybe there was silence among this great crowd, but of course there was still urgency, at least from Jairus. As Jesus stuns the crowd by pronouncing new life to this impure woman, some people come from Jairus' house to tell him they're too late. Your daughter is dead. Mark says she was 12 years old. In that era, that would have been the age of maturity. This little girl was about to become a woman in her own right, get married, have a family of her own. She was so close. Imagine being Jairus. So Jesus disperses the crowd. He takes just three disciples to join him and Jairus as they make their way to his house, probably slower now than they had been walking before. Family and friends and neighbors had gathered at the house. Some are wailing in grief, we're told. Appropriate. And this is where, as bold as the woman was to sneak her way through the crowd to illegally touch the cloak of Jesus, Jesus now shows the same boldness. He now sneaks through this death scene to illegally touch a corpse. Touching a dead body is at the height of impurity. But Jesus takes Jairus' dead little girl by the hand and says, little lamb, arise. That's what Talitha kum means. And she got up and started walking around. It's an amazing portion of Mark's gospel, a great story. But what does it mean to you, to me? 
One scholar, David Jacobson, says it shows the range and reach of the mystery we call Jesus. I think that's exactly right. Because what's consistent throughout the story of Jesus and really the story of God throughout the Bible is that people keep underestimating the range and reach of God's love. Well, God won't care enough to go that far, to remain true to that promise, to care about that person, and then God does. In the Old Testament, God provides healing to Naaman, a rival general from a foreign country. The book of Jonah includes the story of how God forgives Nineveh of all places. God's prophet Elijah is given the power to resurrect the son of the widow of Zarephath. Like, who's that? That kid's a nobody in the great scheme of things. And yet, the range and reach of God's love makes it so that there are no nobodies. What Jesus is doing in our text for today to heal this impure woman, to touch a dead body, what Jesus is doing in our text for today is nothing new, actually, in the character of God, but it's still surprising to people, stunning, actually. And we can't lose sight of that. That's the good news today, that God is a stunner. If you haven't been stunned lately by the grace of God, open your eyes, open your mind again. God's love and care and concern and willingness to break boundaries and disregard what is polite or culturally acceptable even shocks people because too often we care more about keeping boundaries than including people who are left outside the boundaries. Too often we care more about how other people will think about us than we care about other people. As I read and reread this story this week, I imagined being Jairus, which was pretty easy for me. I have girls. And then I imagined being the woman, harder for me. But I think I resonate most with the crowd, excited to see Jesus at the seaside, willing to follow him wherever he's going, gasping at the encounter between this impure woman and Jesus. But then what? Jesus sends them away, and they have a story to tell. And that's all we hear about the crowd for now. Eventually, they'll say, crucify him. God's grace didn't sink in this time. How many times will that crowd need to be stunned before they start catching on that radical, inclusive love is what God does, no matter what the law says, no matter what Jesus is supposed to do in public, the core value for Jesus, from when he's that magnetic baby in a manger visited by these magi, I mean, they are the definition of other from far away, from that story to his death on a cross as he dies for all, not just some, The core value of Jesus, of God, seen through every story of the gospel, especially today's, is radical, inclusive love that ruffles the feathers of the authorities. Okay, more than ruffles their feathers, it gets him killed. But this radical, inclusive love, it also turns the world upside down, especially for those participating in the faith of God. A world built on systems that serves so few, making sure the powerful stay in power, that the rich get richer, that the comfortable stay comfortable, systems that make sure the persecuted others remain available to be taken advantage of. That world, a world we all know very well, 
through Jesus' kind of radical, inclusive love, is allowed to die, is then saved and made new through communities like ours. And it stuns us and the world around us every time it happens. It keeps surprising us. It's like Jesus takes the sin-filled, ill world by the hand and says with great affection, little one, get up. You know your own pains and struggles. You probably know our church, our communities, our nations, our, our world's struggles, and that we're in the midst of a special level of challenge and illness, you could say. Jesus knows all about them strides towards each and every one of us with the same pace. He got to all of us in baptism where we were claimed and chosen by God. We were healed in those waters, and the promise is we can remain healed of our affliction our whole lives long. The same promise given to the woman of today's story. But as stunning as that grace may be again to you today, here's the real stunner. We, beloved ones are radically included into God's faith so that we would radically include everyone else too. Even when we don't want to. Even when they really don't think right about that, that, and that. None of us deserves to be included in a love powerful enough to forgive our worst thoughts, our worst actions, our worst addictions. And yet God went to the effort to include me and you and us together. What do we do with such stunning good news? We share it. We tap the power, wisdom, grace, and peace given to us, and we share it radically to include all our neighbors. That's the life's work of a church. Thanks be to God. Amen.